Hello everybody, my name is Asher, your host for the Revenue Journey Podcast, where we interview and grab unique perspectives from amazing individuals doing technology sales within the APEC region. Welcome to season two of this podcast. If you're already in technology sales today, I hope this podcast gives you more insights into the technology sales landscape in APEC. However, if you're not in technology sales today and you're considering making a leap into this exciting career, tuning into a podcast like this could really help you. Also, if you're looking for help to get into technology sales, I also offer consultation services for individuals looking to get into technology sales. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or through the Get Higher Tech Sales website, which will be in this episode's description. So with that being said, let's get this episode started. Hello, Justin, and welcome to the Revenue Journey podcast. Now, as always, thank you for being a guest on this show. Now, on this Monday evening, tell us how you're feeling as we are doing this recording. Good. Thank you so much, Asher, for having me here on your podcast. Really excited. And I know it's a Monday evening, but really excited for the week ahead. So I'm actually flying to Japan for a holiday this this week. So I'm really excited for that. But thanks for having me over for today. Yes, no problem. And let's see what we can get out of you before you go off for your holidays and and enjoy yourself. (laughs) Uh, But of course, for our listeners who do not know... um, Justin is actually also an alumni of SMU. So it's, it's just really interesting to see a lot of alumni uh, in SMU in tech sales as well. Not sure if that's a trend or, or, or something. I believe you have quite a few <laughs> friends in, in tech sales as well, right, Justin? Yes, yes. Um, it's funny. Like I, I know a lot of people who are from SMU and moved on to tech sales. So I think it's, it's a very interesting you know, thing to see among alumni and connecting with other alumni as well who, are, who were from SMU and now in this field. So happy to have met someone like you who's also from SIS, I believe, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, so that's a, that's a really long time, right? But of course, not just about SMU, right? But I think now is also a good chance, Justin, for our listeners to know more about you. So maybe for our listeners who are not familiar with you, why don't you share with us a little bit uh, in terms of your experience? So give us some context in terms of the companies you have you have been in, as well as the technologies or services that you've sold before. So yeah, I'll hand it to you. Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of where I have been in the past, so I started my career at Parkplace Technologies. So it's actually um, a data center services company. So we provide hardware uh, maintenance services. We provide network monitoring performance solutions. So I started at Parkplace as a business development associate. So really started from the ground um, doing prospecting, doing a lot of cold calls, and really just trying to find prospects out there. Um, a few months into the role, um, I transitioned to, account- to an account manager um, role where I'm more of like handling more or less the the end-to-end sales process at Parkplace. So I handled quite a couple of markets back then, primarily focusing on um, India, um, Singapore, uh, a little bit on the Philippines and Australia for for a while there. And after which I got an opportunity to work at Salesforce as a core account executive. 
So right now, I'm primarily focusing on the, the core solutions while also working with a team of co-prime account executives so that we can, you know, sell throughout the full suite of solutions of the Salesforce um, technology as well. So that's a little bit, you know, like a very quick um, background <laughs> as to what I've been uh, up to the past couple of years. Right. And of course, I believe right now, um, you know, you're, you are mainly covering uh, Philippines and you also speak Tagalog as well, right? You know, the native language of the Philippines. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, currently at Salesforce, um, I do work with a lot of Filipino customers. So yes, I, I am a native uh, Filipino. Yes, I, I, my, you know, my mom is still back home. Um, my relatives are still back home. <laughs> yeah, understood. But I mean, why not you start off, start us off by giving us a little bit of insights into your journey in terms of how did you from, you know, a family who right now most of them are in the Philippines, how do you make it to Singapore and what got you into this whole tech sales journey? Now tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. what got you here in the first place. Sure, sure. So, wow, that's, um, okay, maybe let me kind of break it down <laughs> how I got here. So, I um, I moved to Singapore alone um, at around 13, 14 um, to continue my studies here after, you know, thankfully getting a scholarship to study in Singapore. Um, I continued my studies until university, and that is how I, you know, started working here as well. So, how I got into sales or tech sales is a little bit, it's rather a journey, not really so much of me figuring out from the get-go that I do want to enter sales. <laughs> so yep. how it happened was, um, I think I've always had this interest uh, to do something a little bit more entrepreneurial, to start mm -hmm. something of my own and, you know, starting something new and starting something that, I could see through and because of that I've kind of done quite a couple of projects in the past I when I was I think in primary school I had like a doll business where I was selling those dolls to schools in bulk you know how you go to like a homecoming like alumni events or any school related events you typically would see or receive certain form of like school related gift <laughs> so that in my yep. case was like a doll dressed in my school's uniform so i was selling that i was selling to my school and it kind of just the, the word spread and my school started ordering in bulk a few other schools heard about it they started ordering in bulk so i was kind of like dressing the dolls in many different uniforms so that's how i started this and i and i uh, got my hands dirty as well back in, you know, in JC, joining some business competitions, entrepreneurial competitions, um, right. moving on to uni when I was part of the SMU real business. So I really had a lot of exposure to very interesting startup founders, um, those people who have started things on their own. So I really got inspired in that. Right. So I think all along, it's always been this journey of, um, hopefully being an entrepreneur one day. Mm. And that is how my friends and I started our own little consulting project. Or it's, it's so, I'm not exactly sure how to call it because it sounds yep. a little bit like, you know, but 
um, we did start like a little consulting project um, where uh, we help uh, startups or, uh, you know, growing companies in the Europe kind of venture out into APAC, um, Singapore, you know, Australia, Japan, and bring their business here. Yep. So, and, and I mean, mm-hmm. before you go on, right, just one quick question, Justin. So it seems like you kind of have that entrepreneurial or what we call uh, a little bit of a sales mentality, even when you were fourth. I assume it was 14, 15, it started. Just before you dive into that consulting project, what do you think was the thing that triggered that mindset? Was it family mm-hmm. environment or were, were you just happened to be involved in some projects and you realized that's something that you have? Like, was it something that came natural to you or, or how was it? Um, I, I think it's a mix of both. Um, mm-hmm. I think being surrounded by people who have put me in such situations or have opened up possible opportunities for me are what contributed to it. So back, even when I was young, um, my mom started her own, like a tuition center, you know, um, my cousin has been very much into, you know, starting her own, his own um, F&B business, um, and started his own watch business. I think it's kind of that environment. And also being in opportunities, joining certain opportunities that open up to those kind of possibilities and introduced me to certain people that really got me inspired into this whole thing of, of entrepreneurship. So I think that's that's kind of like yep. the journey to it, I guess. Yeah. Understood. And I mean, you talk about then how you join different communities or you join different, let's call it different groups that had those kind mm. of people, right? entrepreneur. And, and let's really dive into that part where when you were part of SMU Real Business because you you sort of say a little bit, but actually it's much more impressive than what many people think, right? So essentially, you and a group of friends said, let's build a consulting business and let's focus on targeting European business who may want to expand into APEC and let's give them mm. strategies and let's help them understand how to, or rather develop a go-to-market strategy, which by the yeah. way is is what a lot of, people are being paid a lot of money to do right now, you know, bring a certain software to here. So really help us dive, dive into that and give us like, where did the idea come from at the same time? How was that mm. whole process like? Because I think it was really amazing to, when, you, when I heard you share that. Sure, sure. So um, I had a, an opportunity back in university where uh, I am able to go to Copenhagen for an internship. So they placed me in this Danish watch company that's really growing tremendously and rapidly in Europe. And their goal is to be able to expand into APAC. And during the internship, my role is more of strategizing, as you mentioned, rightfully so, all the go-to-market strategies. You know, how can we penetrate into the APAC market? And that mostly was the inspiration behind this consulting project because we realized that there's a lot of value in it that we can provide in terms of market knowledge, in terms of the the people that we know in this region. And a lot of it boils down to, to sales is what we realized. We realized that it's important to be able to sell the vision sell the product, sell the service, and 
we realized that that is something very interesting in this in in this part of the world. So my friends and I decided, hey, um, after the internship, how about let's do something similar? How about let's work with similar companies who are keen to try expanding into APAC or doesn't have to be the whole region. It could be just like Singapore or, or you know, the, the primary markets that they also have in mind. And that's the whole idea behind it. So instead of, for me, instead of pursuing a, an internship on my last year of, of, you know, I said the last year, no, it was the year three summer, which is typically the last summer in Muni where people usually go for internships. I decided yep. to not go for any and just focus on this project. So we built a team. We started from literally nothing. <laughs> we thought of what could we help these companies with? Like, what is the need? What is their challenges? Uh, what could we help them with? You know, what, what services, what products could we help them with? And along with that, we started brainstorming on how can you reach out to potential companies or potential startups. And we realized it's a whole sales thing, you know, like you try, you, yep. you have this need, you have this, you have this service, you come up with all of that, you come up with like a proposal or like a pitch and now it's time to sell, right? Or rather try to sell the idea of it. <laughs> so we realize it's a whole process. So now begins the whole kind of prospecting method, which is, I think, for salespeople like like yourselves and, you, and your, your listeners, right, is very much aware of. We started mm-hmm. prospecting. We started getting, you know, a list of companies or accounts, as you may call it. We started calling into them. We started sending emails. And it was a whole story about prospecting, trying to book appointments, and once the appointment has been booked, now is the time to kind of like understand what, what they're experiencing, what's their goals in the coming year, trying to kind of position how we can help them, providing them the value. And I think that's the whole main part that we all enjoyed. Um, and that was the whole story of about getting the potential customers or clients that we work with, at least in the initial stage of the project. Yeah, so that's that's a little bit of background to it. <laughs> but I guess one thing I'm really curious about is help us understand where the you three. So by the way, you three were still in university. The three of you were still students. Where did you all get that courage to call into like a business in Europe? That could be anyway. I assume they would be big. Could be small businesses, big businesses. How do y'all get that courage? Because think about it, right? It's almost like today a fresh grad going to an SDRO. He or she has to start calling to C-suites, uh, people who are in high positions in certain companies. And oftentimes we feel like, oh no, who am I? I'm just a fresh grad. Who am I to call them and tell them about digital transformation or whatever product that, that or whatever benefit that we are selling? Where do the three of you get that courage? And how do y'all just get started like pitching your service? as a student. Mm. Yeah, to, to be very frank, um, we didn't have any proper training of what a good prospecting should look like. So we don't have 
any of those tips on how you can actually, you know, call into prospects, email, what is the right way of emailing it? So I think the courage really came from, from just, hey, you know what? Like we, we have an idea and we've met similar companies before that are experiencing issues like this. Are you experiencing this? This is what we can provide. So I think it's more of like, I'm not sure if the, the term is just trying to, to, trying to do it and see how it goes and kind of reiterating it along, along the way, trying to figure out what's the best way to position it. So there's a lot yeah. of really figuring out, okay, we did this, this doesn't seem right. Okay, let's, let's try to change how we say it. And okay, this is kind of working. Let's do it again. So I think it's, I, I'm not sure if it's more of like, where did we find a courage, but rather enjoying the process of it, enjoying the process of getting it hopefully slightly better than before. And yep. I think that's the joy of it. That's where we find the fun. Yeah. It's a so little think, bit like, yeah. uh, how do I put it? It's a bit like ignorance is bliss. Sometimes you don't know mm. what you don't know and you just try it and you get it rather than people telling you, oh, you know, C-suite people are like that. And all of a sudden you have fear when you haven't even tried. It almost sounds to me that is the case. Yes, I think you're right. You're, you're, I think um, you're right in a sense that, you know, we, we didn't know much, but figuring out, is what makes us really excited about it. And that's where we find the fun, the joy of it. We really enjoy the process. And we mess up big time. We mess up big time for a couple of things. But I think it's that process of really figuring out and trying to make it better is, is what's exciting. And I think, too, as you mentioned, you know, for maybe SDRs who are listening out there, um, I think sometimes it's important to kind of just enjoy it you know people will kind of say okay it's, it's daunting it's a little bit scary but maybe enjoying the process is is good enough to kind of get us by and and really learn it and really enjoy what we do <laughs> at the end of the day <laughs> right and, and in that case why not you share a little bit about you talk about enjoyment right so maybe tell us a bit then on how you made a transition into a part place you know your first tech sales job and also, how was that process, right? Because you talk about enjoying, because you were essentially a, an SDR in the very beginning, you were prospecting. So talk to us a little bit about that, how you transition into a full-time career in tech sales. Yeah, sure. So um, when we ended the whole consulting um, project, it was successful at some point, And there are also parts of it that we know could be a lot better. And we still believe that we still want to be part of something that's exciting, something that's um, new, something that we can really, you know, use our ideas and do so and, and be part of something that's entrepreneurial in a sense. But having said that, we also realize that we also lack industry experience. And if we want to be entrepreneurs and if we want to start something, it's important to learn the art of sales. And without that, right. industry experience is tough. So after university, um, I started applying for jobs. Um, I started looking out for sales opportunities um, 
consulting opportunities as well. But I realized, um, luckily enough, you know, Parkways took a chance on me. And even though I did not have full-time experience in, in sales development or being, you know, like a, an SDR, they took a chance in me and hopefully saw the potential. So, and that is how I started getting into sales, um, really managing the prospecting, the outbound prospecting, calling people and, you know, doing a lot of prospecting strategies, methods as well. So that's how I decided, okay, you know what, after uni, let's try and, and get our hands dirty out there in sales itself. Yeah. So um, that's how I, I got started. And to be very frank, um, at that point in time, I did not really know a lot of people in sales. So it was a little bit difficult to figure out what, you know, how should I go about it? How should I go about applying for jobs? How should I go about finding for for companies who are open to, you know, to people right out of university? So um, it was me a lot, a lot of, you know, doing a lot of research, trying to reach out to potential recruiters out there that really got me to into a role at Park Place as well. Nice. Mm-hmm. And, and how was that? I guess starting out, right? Because you mentioned, I would assume some of your colleagues, they had some sort of relevant experience or full-time experience before joining uh, the role at Park Place. But you were essentially fresh. Your experience was more from your entrepreneurship journey and things like that. How was that process? like? I, I guess, how do you make it fun for yourself? How do you make it enjoyable for yourself? Uh, you know, as, as, as being a salesperson, how do you try to make it fun? Yeah, I think how I made it fun back then is, um, yes, you're right. There, there, are a lot, there were a lot of people um, in my previous company that really have amazing work experiences before. They have really proven, um, you know, how you could really sell into the different markets that they're handling. They're amazing. Um, how I made it fun was to really try to learn from every one of them. Mm. And... The good thing about being a fresh grad is that I don't have a particular way of doing things. It's still, it, mm. I would say it's pretty much, I'm still kind of, you know, uh, until now, I think, I think it's a mindset I've always, uh, I've always have, which is to be moldable. So I try my, I try very best to really be open to new ideas of how, things could be done. And I think that's the fun part of it because I got to speak with different people with many different things that they've done in the past. I've heard ideas on how it worked for them, how certain things didn't work for them. And it's me trying to figure out, okay, how can I make it mine? You know, how can I, because not all would work for me, you know, like not all people have the same style. So it's me trying to figure out how can I make it personal or how can I make it mine to actually deliver so I think that's the fun part of it and I think it's fun learning you know like I know I'm working but it's fun learning from different people on the job trying to take it in and Mm. see that every day I think this is a good part about being a fresh grad every day you can really tell the difference that you're better than the day before <laughs> because right. the, the learning curve is just steep. 
right? The learning curve is deep. You get better every day and you can see the, the vast improvement that you're making every day as well. And I think that's the part you said you like, right? You like the part about just experimenting with things, trying again and again. Uh, that's something that spurs you on, if I may put it that way. That's something that keeps you interested in your job. Will I be right to say that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Right. Nice. And I think that's also the thing that I tell, um, I guess sometimes when fresh grads come to me, I also tell them the same thing, right? I mean, the good thing about, like you say, being a fresh grad is you're new, you're moldable. You, you can readily accept new ideas. And at the same time, I'm not sure if you will agree with me, is that when you are younger in age, people are somehow more willing to coach you, more willing to teach you. Like if you ask a question, people are more willing to give you time. It's almost like people <laughs> yes. want to give back. I, I, I'm not sure if you experienced that as well in, in part place or even at Salesforce. Yeah, I think so too, actually. Like it's, um, I mean, asking for help is something that people are very much open to. You know, whenever I reach out to them, hey, I'm struggling on this. Um, would you be able to give me some ideas? Would you be able to, you know, um, give me some some of your thoughts, how I could go about it? So I think this, this is the beauty of it. Um, and even I think, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm also fortunate enough as well to be part of teams that really uplift each other also. So we there's always a, a mindset that we are one team. So asking for help isn't that difficult too. But yes, you're right. I think this is the beauty of it, right? We're, we're starting and people acknowledge that. People, people also want to help. So I think that's, 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 the, that's the really nice thing about it. Right. And of course, speaking of learning, I think when we also had our chat uh, in person, you spoke about how you went from Park Place into Salesforce. So Park Place was more of, I guess, selling tech, uh, hardware. You know, there was hardware focus. While let's say when you're going to Salesforce, it was SaaS, software as a service. And even that period was a learning period for you as well, right? Transitioning your selling style, uh, the way you approach customers. So would you also be able to share some of that as well? Because that's part of your journey too. Yeah, sure. So um, transitioning from hardware to software was was definitely a huge, huge learning curve for me. Um, I think working at Salesforce, it really taught me how to approach it from a value-driven standpoint and from a consultative standpoint. Because at Salesforce, we have huge, huge number of products and, and solutions. And not all of them would work for every customer or for every opportunity that I'm working on. So transitioning from hardware to software really taught me how to do a, a really, really, really good discovery, understanding what are the needs of the customer and really understanding what are their goals, their priorities as to why they're looking into this project. And I think that's very crucial because without a good proper discovery, it's hard to position what would help them. So I think at Salesforce is where I started learning, okay, based on this good discovery that I've done, how can we translate that into something that they can see the value in? That, hey, after seeing this, yeah, I think this could solve my problem. This could solve my issue. And that is where you know, um, transitioning from hardware to software, I realized that there's really a lot of thought that goes into it. 
a lot of team collaboration um, among the, the SDRs, the BDRs, the pre-sales, the SEs, right? Um, down to your your co-account uh, executives as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of team collaboration that goes into it, into producing a really good demo, a custom mm-hmm. fit demo that showcases what we can do to help solve the issues that you're facing. So that is definitely one of the key things that I really, you know, um, was thankful to experience at Salesforce. And after that, you know, it's, I think that's one thing. And the second thing that I would like to point out is, you know, transitioning to a company that has a huge um, ecosystem of partners is really working with, you know, like your, your, not just your direct sales, but also working on partner or channel sales, if I may, right? Mm-hmm. How can we handle those reseller deals um, and working with partners, implementation partners to help implement Salesforce projects. So I think that's definitely one of the key things that I had to learn the ropes on how to do it. Because that is very key, very crucial in a Salesforce business. So those, I would say, would be the main things that I had to to quickly learn, to quickly adapt to, to, to be in this role at Salesforce. Yeah. Right. And of course, speaking of partners, I think people who have sold into APEC on Southeast Asia, most people will agree that that's an important part of the ecosystem. Because those partners know the local language, the local culture, uh, and they can help you kind of open doors for you. So partners are one thing, but considering you had some experience selling into different parts of Southeast Asia and APEC, right? Are there any other thing that you have learned from your, I guess, few years of selling into this region, like APEC and Southeast Asia? I think one of the things that um, I often realize is, one is creating the urgency. So um, it's very, I think one of the biggest competitors that we really need is just, just doing nothing. Um, because I think some, yep. it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's understandable because once you invest in a solution, right, it really takes a lot of um, risk. It takes a lot of effort to actually purchase a solution, invest in it. So a lot of people, um, would take that okay like this is a, it's a very um, high risk kind of purchase and they would end up okay like just delaying the project either delaying the project or they just kind of postpone it or just decide to not do anything so mm. it's important to to create urgency um, working with customers um, and I think second thing is how we can better um, how can we better challenge them but also at the same time getting them comfortable with you comfortable enough to be honest and transparent with you as well because what I often realize is once you go into the whole sales process and you've delivered a value you've had a good discussion on the return on investment, you've had a great discussion on, okay, like, is the proposal going to be? And the customer just goes, um, okay, like, thanks thanks for that. But 
you know, um, this is all good. You know, I think this is this is something that is really gonna be of help. But then a few few days later, there's gonna be no decision, or the customer just goes, okay, like you know, um, just just ghost you or what have you. So I think it's important mm-hmm. to really um, to 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 challenge the customer in a sense um, to qualify the opportunities better. To know that mm. okay, like this is a deal that is happening. This is a real deal or not, right? And by challenging the customer is through this, right? That you can know whether or not the the deal is happening, or mm. is it just you know like a like a customer just kind of like shopping around, right? So it's important to also have that challenger mindset, but also mm. um, being able to foster that relationship. That okay, like. You can be honest with me. You can tell me um, if this is not happening, right? So, or something's wrong, or maybe like there's something wrong about the proposal, and we're gonna be shopping around once again, right? So I think being able yep. to know what is really happening with a customer is also very important. Yeah. And and how would you would you be able to give I guess some examples, right? So I think one of the interesting thing you point out was this whole idea of uh, status quo is the biggest competitor. So staying the same is actually the biggest competitor, right? As compared to other vendors. Um, and I think even I myself, I have had some times when I talk to customers in Southeast Asia and APEC. Uh, for example, let, let's take Philippines, the Philippines, for example, which is a country you cover. Um, you know, uh, this, it can be a situation where they're really nice. Like they, or people in APEC generally, they don't want to tell you no. They don't want to be upfront with you and tell you no. They want to be nice, right? We are courteous people. Uh, but when they don't tell you upright no, it's tough because you don't even know what's going to happen. So how do you tread or find a balance between, number one, you try to push for an answer like, hey, is this a project? What's the timeline? Versus at the same time, not trying to push too much first, but also establish that relationship first. How do you strike that balance um, in your mm. own sales process? Um, so to me, I I try to um, not just connect with my customers on calls or on meetings, but also have that one-to-one um, communication with them. Whereby, you know, after the, the meeting with everybody in the team, I just kind of drop like a courtesy call. Like, hey, you know, like this is what, that, you know, thanks for coming. This is what we've covered. Um, just kind of like a, you know, like seeing and understanding from them if there's any outstanding hesitations or any outstanding concerns that they may have that maybe they were not able to think of during the call, but would like to share with me now. You know, and the point really is to just help them throughout this process. Not necessarily yep. that uh, you know that like you need to you need to get it from me, but at least help you in this process in evaluating the right solution for you. So that is my goal, right? Which is to how can they have a good buying experience? Because sometimes it boils down to like an emotional buy, right? If they have a nice mm-hmm. experience buying from from me, they they there's some sort of like trust there and like okay like i like this experience so far with you i like dealing with you i like talking to you so sometimes it helps 
and getting them to be transparent as well with me. Yeah, but of course, if it's something that's totally a, okay, like we really need these features, we, this and that only. But if I could tell that based on what they're telling me as their issues and needs and it doesn't really correspond or it's not going to help them, I'm also open to just telling them that and hopefully being sort of like a, you know, like an advisor or trusted advisor to tell them, okay, like this is what I've understood from you and you're telling me this. I know you're very much into this feature, 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 but I think based on our experience, based on how we've helped similar customers, this is what makes sense. So I think it's kind of having that, mm. um, hopefully a relationship that builds throughout as a trusted advisor where you can be candid um, and also transparent in in the sales process, yeah. Right, so it's, that, that is interesting. I mean, to be very honest, that's also something new to me. Like after a group call or a group demo, you actually do the extra layer of step where you either do a call or I assume if you don't have the phone number, you maybe drop a LinkedIn message or something and just to tell them that, it, it almost it's almost as if like you're giving them a reminder that at the end of the day I'm a human or mm-hmm. I can be your yeah your 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 professional friend in a sense. Yeah. Essentially yeah. that's what you're doing, like extra step. And you kind of build a champion uh, for yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. would that kind of be right to term it that way? Yeah, I think so. Actually let me give an example. Like um there was this one call um whereby the partner was there as well. And sorry, and just, um, just for context, this oh. is a call with a Philippine client or, or with uh, which country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with a with a Filipino client. Okay. And um we were trying to do like a presentation to the customer and the partner was there. The partner was kind of like leading the, the call, at least majority of it, because it's mostly relying on them. And um and after the call, I mean, during the call, I felt that the customer is losing trust in a sense on the partner, um, whereby what they're asking is not really what they are answering. And I could sense that, mm, like, you know, it, it's like the, the customer is not getting the confidence on it. And after the call, I, I huddled one of, you know, some of my, my teammates who's from my team, right? Like, hey, you know, what do you yeah. think of it? Like, because my gut feel tells me that, you know, something wasn't right. You know, what do you think? Or am I just kind of overthinking it? Did I not get it? Or or did I not interpret it correctly? And they all thought the same thing. Hmm. So what I did was I called the customer one-on-one. Hey, I'm just trying to kind of think what happened. And, you know, just wanted to to you know, be upfront to you. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, what you perceive about the call or, you know, what you think about this partner or what what they're talking about because I wanted to hear thoughts. I'm not sure if I'm seeing or I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if, yeah, what you're thinking or like, because I have my own opinion, but I want to hear yours. And that's where, he said, hey, I really appreciate that you, you called in. Um, to be very frank, I don't think they, you know, they, they understood it. I don't think they, you know, they, they 
they understand our business and things like that. And that is how I built the relationship with them because they started trusting me. And that is how I started, you know, with the help of my team, trying to repair, sort of, you know, quote unquote, repair the, the, the whole um, conversation. Right. So we ask, I ask his feedback. I ask what he's thinking. And I went back to my team along with, with the partners as well. Hey, this is what I've heard. Can we do something about it? This is what I have in mind. Shall we do this? Shall we do that? And that's how all of us tried to really be, you know, try to, try to improve it, try to take note of what the customer has mentioned and went back to them, give a, give them a better proposal, give them a better, you know, um, feedback to it and the customer appreciated that so right. i think it's about you know mm. doing what's right to for the customer and being just candid about it show the human side of ourselves and like, hey you know i'm just trying to figure out because i think something's not right but want to hear thoughts and yeah they, they open up and i think that's that's um very nice of it's, it is a nice opportunity i guess to to really foster that relationship even more yeah, and I mean, it sounds like this is something not just applicable to, I would say, not just applicable to someone in the Philippines, uh, the whole of APEC, or even globally, right? I mean, everybody would like that personal touch as part of the sales process and everything. I, I would assume so. But one question I do have, though, is, I mean, that's the human side of things. So let's assuming you have really done that emotional part. Um, let's, if we dive into, let's say, the Philippines, because that's where you also spend majority of your time. What about other things like um, in order to get a sales process done, in order to get a deal done, do you need to also have things in place like local support, someone who can speak Tagalog? Do you need to have really, do you really need a partner there? Um, all these things like, are there other factors involved to ensure, let's say if you're selling to the Philippines today, that it will be a success? Mm, right. So, um, I mean, I think it does help to have, you know, like a local partner. Um, who has you know her, their own delivery team in the Philippines and things like that. Um, but I think in terms of if we're talking about partners alone, I do work with a couple of partners that are based in the Philippines, are based somewhere else. Um, so I would say it's it really depends. It really depends on what the customer needs. Um, Filipinos are pretty much open to working with non-Filipino partners, to be frank, unless they had a bad experience in the past where it left like a, you know, like a bad taste to them. And they would be a little bit more um, selective in terms of the partner that they're going to work with. So if that is the case, they would tell me, okay, like I want a local partner. I want a partner that has done this before in, in my industry and, this type of products, things like that. Um, in terms of the the local support, um, well, I'm I'm based in Singapore, but you know my my team does encourage people to travel often, meet the customers. Um, you know, it's important to have a personal that face to face conversation, but I wouldn't say it's you know. I think nowadays Filipinos are being more and more open to having online conversations about purchases and about, you know, 
looking for for systems technologies out there so i think there people are becoming more and more open to it uh which mm-hmm. i think is a good thing um yeah so i i would say in terms of partners in terms of local support or sales team we it's still pretty much a mix i would say at this time yep i mean because it's interesting because uh, i think most people would know that the philippines is one of those country where english they are really comfortable with that language you know they grew up speaking it and all um as compared to i would say let's say other southeast asia countries uh, you know i would say philippines and maybe even india is one of those countries where english is not a problem there isn't too much of a language barrier at times uh, compared to other countries but i guess what about other things like um discounting do you always have to give a discount um are there differences between uh, enterprise probably don't need discounts versus smbs probably you need to give discounts or things like that what about on the money side of things uh any thoughts on that i think it's more of okay um I I like to have a discussion around that if I know that we are their vendor of choice because if it's just going to boil down to price itself I don't think we're ever going to win. <laughs> mm. We are one of the I mean we're not exactly the cheapest in the market. So mm. when it comes to discounting um I would really love to know in terms of okay like Like is that the only thing left, right? Or is that the only thing left to discuss? Is that um you know are, are we the vendor of choice? You know, or is there anything else that you need us to address before you can make a decision that you want to go with us or not? Um, mm. and if you're telling me that yeah, I think it's just this, you know, but this is our budget, then I would you know that is where the fun begins because now they want to buy, I want to sell. So it's easier for us to come into an agreement that way. Um, yeah. yeah. So in terms of discounting, um, I think that's pretty much my take on that. Um, back at Parkways, our our services are not really the the most expensive out there. So I don't really discount that much, uh, to be frank, because our prices are already very attractive enough given the services that we provide. Um, so I wouldn't say it's. I, I think I would say both are very much very different from each other. Yeah. Understood. No, but that's a good take in terms of how you would sort of handle those situation and what's your thought process in terms of, uh, like situations like this in, like discounting or something like that. But of course, as you finish up that that answer, we are also coming to the end of of the this podcast recording, right? But I mean, a- any thoughts? You know, in Before I I ask you what's the last thought you have, any other things that you you feel is really important to kind of bring out throughout your whole sales journey that you really want to share for our listeners? Yeah, I think throughout um this sales journey, I think it's you know I I recently spoke to someone that I think what he mentioned really stuck with me, and what he's trying to say is this: in sales, you need To be able to to bend but not break. Mm. So what he's trying to say is that um, in sales you're gonna be hit by so many things. You know, it's not an easy job. Like you need to be able to manage internal, external stakeholders. You need to manage 
all the things that's happening, you know, things change, priorities change. It's not an easy one. And you need to be able to bend, but, but not break, right? So I think, I think it resonates with me a lot because in sales, it's, it's not a, you know, it, it's not just about doing your job, but it's about being mentally fit mm. as well and emotionally strong in a sense you know that you're able to manage all of these whirlwind of emotions all these like roller coasters is happening every day um, so I think it's important to really manage how you go about you know you, you, about my job I think that's that's one of the biggest takeaways that I realized after working for almost three years now in sales that mm. it's going to be tough but it's about how you manage your 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 thoughts your your emotions your mind do it <laughs> yeah i mean i would have to agree on that right I, I think a lot of times it's you know there are so many tips and tricks out there that or advice that you could use there's a lot of frameworks and processes that you could apply to as part of your sales process but i think a lot of times i also feel it's it's a mental game it's more importantly to be mental and sometimes even telling you selling yourself things like well even if i miss a quota that doesn't define me you know i i am still a human that has other things about me and yeah. on this note i think it's a good way to kind of ask that last question right which is you know a lot of our listeners in this podcast are like we said also early in careers like you and me uh, but there are also people who are students or people who are thinking of going transitioning into tech sales other than what you've shared in terms of bend but not break would there be any other things that you would tell these people or leave as a last message to them to consider or to think about before they make that transition into Texas? Mm. I think to me, it's, um, I think my, my, my take on it is just go for it. You'll never know because to me, I also never knew. And the mm. only way that I started realizing that is to really get into it, you know, show up at my work every day and that's how I figured out that hey you know like this is this is I think you know what I enjoy I think this is this is where I also find a little bit more fun as well right so I think if people are are thinking about it or like is it right for me and things like that I think there's really no way of telling unless you just go for it and I think along the way, it's it's going to be a mental... Yeah, as you said, right? It's a mental game. <laughs> mm, so um, yeah. I think it's it's important to, to have something that you enjoy outside of work as well. Like, I think, mm. Asher, I think this is what you mentioned to me as well, right? I, I think you having this podcast is a, is a really good thing because... As salesperson, it's good to kind of like have different ways on on or different different platforms and very kind of like just enjoy yourself and just being creative and things like that. So, yeah. So I think this is a good way of finding the fun in it, enjoying the process. I think this is kind of where my recurring theme was from the beginning when you started asking me as well, right? Finding the fun in it and just just give it a try. And I mean, um, who knows, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really important to have something else outside of your job as well, regardless of whether it's a sales job or not. Something else where you can find, yeah. I guess, 
because your job, chances are it will not be 100% every day. Some days you'll just feel lousy at your job. But, but if there's something else to look forward to, then that makes you feel a little bit more, I guess, happy. And you then rely on yeah. your job as well to make you happy. For sure, for sure, for sure. And of course, uh, I would say speaking about happy, we have last two questions. Uh, first question I have for you is, what do you love about your job in tech sales? What do you love about it? Um, I think what I love about tech sales is the the challenge of it, ironically speaking. The challenge of it, okay. And I guess the second question I have, and feel free to add on if you haven't fully replied the previous question, what then gets you out of bed every morning? Could be work-related stuff or could be not work-related stuff. What gets you out of bed every morning to seize the day? Coffee. <laughs> coffee. Anything else? Like, no, I, I would guess imagine anything that... else other than coffee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I have a guest uh, that says uh, coffee at the office gets them to go to the office and, and be there to do their work. Yeah, but... that's, that's actually true at times. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, coffee and just, I think seeing people, like, I mean, you know, mm. like trying, I mean, I think in the office, I mean, people kind of like start, um, going back or you know, see your, your colleagues and not just call your friends as well right I think that's that's the, the fun part of it I see okay understood anything else that we have not covered or are we all good I think um, all good all good so far okay is there any um, anything else that uh, what do you call this or maybe I asked yes. one question <laughs> oh, yes yes you can ask me a question of course. Yeah. So, um, how how did you know? Um, I think you've talked about it a while as well. How you started your podcast, right? So, um, what what was the uh, the spark behind it? You know, like what was the trigger point? Is that how they call right, it? Right. Basically, basically a spark. Like, what was it to that triggered the start of this podcast? I, you you're asking. Yeah. Okay, feeling like a guest now. Uh, but thanks so much for the question. I, I think people who listened to my very first episode of the Revenue Journey podcast, they would know. But the short story is, and I will, I will have told you as well, right, Justin, is that my first internship in uni was actually in a SaaS company. That was when I was introduced to SDR, AE, and I was really interested. And I remember on the last day, I went to the sales director and I asked him, hey, I'm interested in sales. What's your one advice for me? And he told me, Asher, next year, when you have an internship or when you have the opportunity, go and sell something. Sell something. Uh, and then you decide whether that is something you want to do. And so that's what I did, mm. right? My last internship, I was selling uh, a point of sale systems in an SME. Right. That was where I closed my first deal. And I love it. That feeling was something that kept me going back. Um, and at the same time, it was also that period where I started reading a lot of sales books. So I told you before, right? I read Fanatical Prospecting, yeah. Challenger Sale, um, Predictable nice. Revenue, I, I, a lot of different books, Spin Selling. And all these books were great, but I realized, and firstly, they were all by US authors. And when I really started my first job as a BDR, prospecting into Southeast Asia, so I'll give one example. I remember I did video prospecting because video prospecting was so big in the US back then. I did video prospecting. I think I sent out like 80 different videos, for example. And if I do not recall, 
wrongly. The results were, I think three people replied me and only one was positive. So it was just like I spent so much time, so much energy on it. <laughs> I mean, someone could argue maybe it's the execution what could be better. Maybe it's the way I recorded. Uh, but that was when I realized, okay, uh, it's a little bit different because if I record myself mm. and I don't know you, it may come off as creepy in, in, in Southeast Asia as compared to in the US, people will love it. I've even had times when I do video prospecting and I put the person's LinkedIn profile behind me with my face there and people say that that's a little bit creepy. You know, they still reply, but they say <laughs> it's a bit creepy. And, and that's when I realized, okay, execution is so different, not just on the individual mm-hmm. prospecting level, right? But even yeah. the way the ecosystem is like partner, unique partners in this yeah. part of the world. You need someone who can potentially speak the local language, things like that. So that was really yeah. the reason why we started this. And that's why we are speaking to you as well. You who bring some perspective <laughs> in terms of selling here. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Actually, now it's kind of like piecing, like I could piece things together now based on what you've been saying. I think it's, it's incredible. I think you're right. Um, I've, I've had a few um, books, podcasts. I've also listened to myself and or read. And I think what you're doing would really shed light as well into how we can do it in this side of the world. And I think that's, that's really exciting. Yep, and you'll be playing a, a small part in it as well, Justin. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Asher, for, for having me. <laughs> no problem. But before you Such go... A pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, before you go, for our listeners who are tuning in, uh, let's say they have some questions or they are really curious about something, what is the best way they can reach you? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, you can reach me on my LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn is similar to my name over here, uh, Justine Hermoso. So you can just drop me, you know, like a like a message or a connection, um, or like an invite. Correct? Yeah, and, yeah. and I'll definitely, you know, um, reply. So yeah, I'm just just feel free to message me. Feel free to reach out if there's anything mm-hmm. that I can help you with or any random questions that you may have. You know, if you're trying to to break into sales as well or anything like that. Um, yeah, feel free feel free to connect. Definitely. And I'll make sure I'll put your um, LinkedIn profile in this episode's description as well. But if not, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, that's pretty much the, the end of the podcast, Justin. Really, really appreciate right. you coming on to the podcast today and being a guest. And of course, again, thank you to all listeners for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. Connect with me and Justin, and we look forward to the next one. But for now, take care, stay safe, and have a great revenue journey. All right, Justin, say bye to our audience. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, Subscribe. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Take care.